0: So you move to L.A. for Hollywood dreams Gonna be a big shot, the money'll be obscene First you gotta start at the very bottom rung We'll tell you all about it so you don't look dumb If you wanna make it, you'll have to be persistent But I'm pretty busy, talk to my assistant Yo, welcome back to Talk to My Assistant. Everything you never wanted to know about being a Hollywood assistant. I'm so, so glad you're back because it either means someone in my family is bribing you or you dug it. And either way, it's good news for me. But we have a great guest this week. She talks about starting as a production assistant or PA in Atlanta, which was her hometown. She gets really into the nitty gritty of life on set, which apparently sometimes means getting into the shit, literally with a plunger. And I love a good bathroom story. I mean, the only shit I had to deal with as an assistant was metaphorical. Oh, and I guess the one time I had to conference a call to a boss's phone while he was on the toilet. But As she also shares, being a production assistant is like a powerful way to see the actual magic of movie making. She then made the move to L.A. and started over in an agency mailroom. So she talks about the actual move and shares, honestly, some of the most entertaining agency assistant horror stories that I've ever heard. Which is why we bleep out her name a couple times in the episode. But before we kick that off, I want to remind you to check out the website where there's a blog and a photo for every episode. Maybe pull it up now because the photo for this episode is a kind of visual aid for the beginning of the interview. You can also see the photo on our Instagram at talktomyassistant. Also, when you're done with this, the third episode is also already up, and my guest for that episode talks about life at a TV network, as well as navigating the industry as a woman and minority, which we can all learn from. Thanks for listening, and please rate and subscribe. Now for the fun stuff.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the
0: story you are about to hear is true. The names have been redacted to protect the innocent.
1: I was working on Drop Dead Diva, which films in South Atlanta, like past Atlanta, South Georgia. So it's very hot. It's very humid. For whatever reason that I cannot remember, the extras bathroom was shut down the honey wagon like wasn't there or something and so we had started letting them use the regular bathrooms there's a two stall bathroom so there are just a ton
0: of extras using lines the bathroom.
1: lines of extras okay.
0: for this show
1: okay using these bathrooms throughout the day was which, it
0: like what they have for lunch was it like a burrito situation <laughs> chick-fil-a just really okay. shoots right through you that fried chicken
1: fried chicken and sweet tea <laughs> It's delicious, and it gets you going. Uh, Anyway, so, yes, so the toilet gets clogged, and the locations people are nowhere to be found, and lo and behold, the person who was asked to take care of the problem was me. Um, So... What was the problem? A very, very Uh. backed-up diarrhea situation. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, it was totally backed up. It was awful. When my boss asked me to do this, she was embarrassed to ask me to do this. Uh, which, like, at least there was that, right? Like, you're being asked to, like, plunge other people's poo. Right. So I plunged the toilet and I made my buddy, who I worked with, take a picture of me. Um, She took the picture of me and we made a sign that said... No job is finished until the paperwork is done. Please make sure your paperwork has flushed before exiting the premises.
0: Look, whoever said being a PA wasn't a creative job <laughs> certainly hasn't done it.
1: Yeah, I actually stole that from like a cross-stitch thing behind my granny's toilet, but... I thought oh my it was appropriate. God.
0: That's exactly, honestly, how I envision Georgia. Like, people have cross-stitch <laughs> hanging, hanging behind their toilet. Yeah. Like, cross-stitch everywhere. Yeah. It was a cross-stitch of a kid holding a roll of toilet paper. Wow. Well, I think it just goes to show, like, it's a metaphor for... Being at the bottom of entertainment, no job is too small, yeah. no job is too dirty, and it's all going to fall on you.
1: I actually became quite famous because seasons after I had left Drop Dead Diva, people would text me and say, I am staring at you while I pee, because my picture was still posted on the back of the bathroom
0: door. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm really interested about you know, your start in the industry, because I know you started in Georgia. Um, and I know you're from Georgia. Yes. So how did you end up getting involved in film in general?
1: So I had no idea what I was doing, as most people who end up out here
0: <laughs> would right. say.
1: So I actually had gone to school for marketing and for music business. I've okay. been interning in Nashville. So I didn't have any experience at all. Zero. And I was had graduated when nobody had jobs and had no idea what I was doing. And I'm sure my parents were really nervous for me. And in that time, I had gotten a paid internship at a marketing firm, and it was in Atlanta. And so I had, like, a little bit of leeway, because I was an unpaid intern for the most part, where I could, like, have some spare time during lunch, which ended up helping because I started hearing that things were filming in Georgia, and that that was, like, a thing. And I never, ever... Ever would have moved to LA and been like, I can make it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because it
0: was just so new to you. I had no idea. I
1: had no idea what I was doing, and I didn't know what you do. It sounded awesome. I'm. Everybody thinks about working in the movie business growing up. I had mostly been thinking about music for four years, and then I was like, Well, I don't know. I maybe I'll try it. If I'm gonna do it, I might as well do it here while I have literally. Nothing else going for me.
0: So were you living at home?
1: Yes. Okay. I was living at home. Was, so it
0: helps to be able to take a risk if you're living at home.
1: Yes. Yeah. Almost everybody who graduated when I graduated <laughs> had no job and was living with it was their parents. Oh, nine. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right after the crash. So um, I was living with my parents and I like got this. I like had done some internship and like had long periods of like doing nothing. I'm sure I was like thinking about life a lot. Then I got to hearing about the film industry and um, I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and I didn't know what that was. Right. So I started going to these Georgia production
0: partnership meetings. Right, because just to give background, there's so much production in yes. Georgia. Oh, yeah.
1: So the reason why it had come to my attention was that there are these tax incentives in Georgia that make it cheaper to film
0: there and they were actively trying to bring more production so was this kind of the beginning of the boom there or had it already been yeah have they been shooting like, there for a long they time they
1: had started doing uh vampire diaries and gossip not Gossip gospel sorry drop dead diva like a few there were a few things that were okay. happening there that was getting buzzed so that was how i even heard about it at okay. all was that there was just stuff in the newspaper about like cool, there's sets around town Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're building stuff. Right. So, um, I was like, cool, I'll just try this here, but I didn't know what to do. So I, I actually can't even remember how I found what the Georgia production partnership was. Oh, actually I do. So when I told my parents that I wanted to do this, my dad is a lawyer and he just joined the entertainment section of the bar. Cause you can join any section. It doesn't have to be what law you practice. And I would Just go to these networking events with lawyers, entertainment lawyers. Wait,
0: that's amazing. So you are fresh out of college. Yes. You just knew you had to network, Mm -hmm. and you were just like, I'm going to go pretend to be a lawyer.
1: I didn't pretend to be a lawyer, but I, like... You just... Sh- but you, it was sure, all lawyers, Yes, right? it was
0: all lawyers, and my dad would be like, put on
1: this blazer or whatever Yeah, and I'm, like, uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, you go with your dad? I'd go with my dad. Hey, I'm, good for him. Yeah, I'm sure some people probably thought I was, like, his weird young girlfriend or something at first, but then <laughs> he's like, this is my daughter, and he would... It was awful. I remember being sweaty and feeling ridiculous because these people are brilliant lawyers and I'm like some idiot from public college. But I
0: think that's amazing. That's yeah. an amazing way to kind of yes.
1: wiggle your way into networking. My And to be honest, my dad, who would tell you himself that he's not the best networker, but he wanted me to be better, right. would like uncomfortably force me to do this stuff. And I had gotten a little bit of networking experience in the music world because I would go to like music, conventions and stuff so like I had done it a little in the music world but I truly truly had no idea what I was doing in this land so I'm at all these meetings with entertainment lawyers and at one point I meet this lawyer Steve Weisenecker which I might okay, I hope I'm not butchering his name but he is and he's actually definitely
0: listening so
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> he's actually one of the lawyers who helps negotiate with and does all the politics and everything to get the Tax incentives oh, established. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so he's like a big deal, and <laughs> kind of but a, big deal. a very <laughs> so. big deal. I I'm sure I had no idea that he was that big of a deal when I met him. But I met him and his wife, who were very nice and were astonished that some rando girl was just showing up at these lawyer meetings and trying to talk to lawyers. And he told me about the Georgia production partnership. Um, meetings and said to start going to those. And had he set me up on a coffee with somebody who worked in the film office. Oh wow. Which was my like first coffee meeting Yeah, biz, My first general yeah. as we call it out yeah. here in LA. <laughs> I didn't know that name yet though. So that's how I heard about Georgia Production Partnership Meetings. This is all a long story to say that I started going to those while I was interning. I would just leave my internship and right. go to these meetings. And they were bizarre. It's like actors trying to get jobs. It was mostly older people. There was almost never younger people there. And the only interesting part was when they would talk about the local stuff that was coming to town. So
0: were these people who were just kind of like, oh, this is a new opportunity in Georgia. I'm just going to see if I can...
1: Kind of, I mean, it was to kind of establish what's going on around town, what's coming soon, what people need, and it was supposed to be like a networking thing, you had to pay for a membership, I paid like whatever the student membership was, because yeah. I still had my student ID.
0: Uh, I still have my yeah. student ID. keep your student
1: ID for as long as possible. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, so
1: I would just go to these meetings and be like harassed by old actors who were like trying to make it big time, And yeah. uh, but in the process, the lady who ran it was like, oh well we have I have this thing I put together called the PA Academy and you should do it and I was like oh I'm gonna have to pay to take a class to like learn how to do this
0: like pay to take a class to learn how to like do a schleppy job put put food on a table and like yes but I will tell you it was invaluable that was also a very rude joke I'm sure that there's a lot of (laughs) A lot of intricate... I mean, I know being a PA is hard, so I wasn't um, scoffing at yeah. it. Yeah, and I had no idea what I was doing, and I just thought, like, maybe... But, I'll like, meet... do you feel like the course prepared you for plunging? <laughs> we did have a small section
1: on toilet cleaning and Wait, you maintenance. Did? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was all very professional. Uh, yeah, no, it was awesome. It was, like, you paid... $75, I think. And you'd show up and the first day was, like, a panel of all these Turner people. And, like, I didn't really understand what they did. Turns out later, that's the job I actually do now. Development stuff. Uh, and then the second day, you went to pc which is a camera and equipment rental house in Atlanta. And they, like, <laughs> literally had you like if you showed up one minute past the fake call time they would like yell at you and you had to have this like little fanny pack with all the essentials that you needed on set and um they like told you to put together a c-stand and like what an apple box was and all
0: this like lingo there's very there's a lot of things on well yeah because you're talking about a honey truck and i just pretended like i knew what that was (laughs) it sounds like a A honey wagon a honey wagon it sounds like a honey potter like it's well, a trailer where people really P-
1: But they also refer to... All, they're all called honey, honey wagons. But like, what's the like the a trailers.
0: honey trap or like honey pot that's like some some like dating thing?
1: A honey trap was like honey a trap. con where you like con a guy into yeah. something with yeah. your, okay, that's with your snatch, tried. I guess. <laughs> with
0: your sn- <laughs> that's snatch. Snatch. That sounds like a Georgia word. Honey,
1: <laughs> that's the honey trap is your snatch. Uh, anyway, so we... Like, learned all this stuff, and then they would let you interview, like, you had little classes with, like, a person who was a first AD, a person who was a cinematographer, a person who was a locations person, and they would all explain what the heck they do and tell you, like, nightmare stories, and I wish, in Georgia, I have a notebook where I took notes on, like, all the crazy stuff that these people said, because I remember this woman was a first AD, which is very rare. There's not very many women 80s in general it's a hard hard life that job and I
0: mean it's probably part of the reason why there aren't a lot of women directors in general (laughs) and she sounds like a whole
1: episode (laughs) me too and yeah I mean like the very first story she told us was about Denzel Washington making her cry every day on set she would talk about how she would let herself cry for like five minutes every day in a bathroom. But I yeah. was like, oh God, this is a crazy world. Because this woman was like an, ad- an adult.
0: Yeah. She was in
1: her 30s. When I'm like assuming. production
0: is just so brutal in terms of like the physicality yes. of it. Yes. Like the hours and the standing around and all yeah. of that.
1: Anyway, that's all a very long story to say. I did this little PA Academy and then nothing happened. I thought I was going to like get a job from it or whatever. And I was like, oh man, like, I spent this money, now I have nothing to show for it. And so I emailed the lady who ran it and was like, hey, I remember you talking about some PA that you knew who bought a house or something from their PA salary and that she was, like, very resourceful. And I said, I don't know anybody in this business who's, like, my age, that's a girl, I don't have anybody to talk to. Can you introduce me to this person? I'll take them for a drink or something.
0: Yeah, out
1: of the blue. I mean honestly I was desperate cuz I had no job.
0: I do that all the time.
1: And I didn't hear anything back from her and I was like, "Oh man. Uh how embarrassing." Yeah. And then all of a sudden I got an email from this girl and she had not deleted the chain below it where
0: So <laughs> She just forwarded your like request for networking. yeah. And it said
1: uh this girl seems smart. I don't think she's psycho. Dot dot dot. Up to you.
0: Oh, if she only knew.
1: <laughs> I know, right? The real truth. Uh,
0: so she. But really quickly, I just want to yeah. like emphasize that because I think when you're, it, it's just so clear that the way that you get jobs in this industry is having someone get your foot in the door. Yeah. And sometimes you do like, or often you do send an email to someone asking them to connect you with someone, and I think as long as you're respectful about it, that's totally a good way to do it. But also sometimes people just don't respond and it's oh, it's yeah. just a numbers game and not taking it personally. Oh, I've had many a people not respond. Yeah.
1: When I was in the music business for like a hundred years, I was like trying to meet Joel Katz. <laughs> he was like one of the biggest entertainment Is it bad lawyers. bad? I don't know. Okay. He's like a huge entertainment lawyer. Uh, and it was... A fruitless journey. But I still did it. Like, yeah. Like, what's the harm? It just goes in their junk mail or whatever. If they yeah. But anyway. So, the girl wrote me back and was like, ha yeah, let's go to a drink. And here's what I'll tell you that I learned from that experience is we set up a time to meet. Uh, it was, like, an hour before we were supposed to meet. And she canceled on me. Right. And this was the second time that this had happened. Because I had that that first coffee meeting that I told you that I got from my lawyer networking. He that guy also canceled on me on the very last minute. And I was like, What is wrong with right. the people in this business? They're so unreliable. But both times the person felt so bad that by the time I did meet them, they were super helpful, probably more helpful than maybe they would have been.
0: Right, because they, they had kind guilt. of only felt guilty. Yeah. But yeah, I was But also, worried. that was before you moved to LA. And I don't yes. know, it's probably different in Georgia, but in LA things get rescheduled like four times and people don't feel bad because that's just the way that the yeah well I was very butthurt by this no I I would have (laughs) been butthurt too I had I had a call with an alum because that's how I like got my first job was through like my school's alumni network Uh and at one point it was like 15 minutes after the call was supposed to start and I emailed his assistant and I was like are we oh I'm like here are we gonna do this call and she's like oh, uh, it looks like we're actually going to have to reschedule. And I thought that was so crazy and so rude. And then the amount of times I had to pull shit like that when I was an agency assistant and just underwater. Mm -hmm. And you're just – you're – not respectful of yeah. people's time because just like the parameters of what you're trying to get done. Exactly. So it's important to not take stuff and, personally. And I'll
1: tell you the world, the set world is just so different too from the LA and especially the agency oh, world. Sure. Because yeah. I I have two very different perspectives on agency people from dealing with them in a production office yeah. versus being the person who needs something done. Right. Quickly. Yeah. But um but yeah. So anyway, I finally met with this chick. She was super nice. I'm so glad I didn't give up on meeting with her after she canceled that first time because she actually helped me get, like, my first three
0: jobs. Oh, wow.
1: Yes. Three jobs? So she got me, like, she had me day play on, like, two things, which I didn't know what day playing meant. It's, like, where you just, they need extra PAs for a variety of reasons, like if they have a lot of extras one day on set. And so they'll hire a few people to just work for one day to... Um, go to set so I like day played on something she also told me about being an extra just so I could get on set so I was an extra on Footloose the remake yes that was my very first time on set Uh, and then she got me on an award show um, the BET Hip Hop Awards and that got me the people on there were very kind and helped me get on the Soul Train Awards and then she set me up on Drop Dead Diva right after that. So uh, basically, my first few jobs were all either because of her or because of a different job she'd gotten me. It became more fruitful into another job afterwards. So it was a good meeting to say the least, and I'm still in touch with her today. She still works in Georgia in production. Oh wow! Yes, but um, but yeah. So that's how I got to be a PA. That was the journey to then, and then the fun began.
0: And I noticed – I know that you said that, like, you had a totally different um, perspective on agency when you oh, were – Oh, yeah. So, like, just really quickly, what what was that?
1: Because when I worked in a production office, agents, assistants would always call you and then put you on hold. And I always thought that was insane. Yeah. They would call, and I'd be like, hello, drop out of your production office, and they would be like – Hey, and then they would hang – they would say, can you hold on a second? Put you on hold for, like, five minutes, and then I would just hang up on them. Yeah. And they would call back. They always were trying to get schedules and stuff, which, like, we had been told on every production, don't ever give agents anything. Yeah. (laughs) And so I would just be like, yeah, sure, I'll send it to you, and then I would just never send it, knowing that that was okay for me to do because my boss had said it was okay. Um, But now, having worked in the agency side, knowing that that poor assistant is getting screamed at and reamed for not having the day out of days or whatever, and knowing that they're handling like 50,000 calls in a row, it's like you just can't even imagine that volume when you're sitting in a production office. Right.
0: And it's such a different world. And their attitudes. Nobody is...
1: Agency assistants are not nice. So that was... It actually kind of helped me later when I became an agency assistant because when i would call production offices i'd be like
0: i know you're not supposed to share this
1: but right
0: just it always helps to play both sides like that's why yeah. some people find it so valuable to work at an agency is because they know they're going to be having to deal with agents yes. forever so at least they know kind of what they're dealing with i guess you could say yeah um so then you worked on sets for a while like what was yes Plunging toilets, plunging getting toilet.
1: people food, people on set food, and also later in life. Food is so important in this dump.
0: Food is number one. If you can just
1: get the order right every time, I think then you'll be successful. That like. I mean, that's true. And I'm a psycho about food because people... In the production world, even the like non important people are so mean. If they're if they don't want tomatoes and there's tomatoes, they're never gonna just put them aside, they're gonna let you know that you screwed up and there's fucking tomatoes on their sandwich. And, and just to it. be
0: fair, at least I felt like an assistant normally that wasn't even your fault, you're just like the first yeah. one on fire. So,
1: what I learned very quickly is you make sure you double check everything when you go to the restaurant, you never trust the people there and you look inside the boxes yeah. and you always get a receipt. Because you get screwed if you don't have a receipt and people will scream at you. There's so many, uh, so many varieties of ways you can get screamed at. But f- right. if you can eliminate food from it, then it'll save you like 50% of so the So true.
0: <laughs> and I think it's just because like nobody wants to deal with a hangry person.
1: No, and yeah. you are working crazy. Panger is real. Crazy hours on set, and there's yeah. already people storming in offices and throwing stuff, and like everyone, people are loony. I mean, being yeah. on set, that's like a a carny lifestyle. Like it's like the best way I can describe it is like a group of carny people who move from like one thing to another, and like you're very close knit for like three months at a time, but you can also like very quickly right form like cliques and stuff. It's just like high school. Yeah, and there are, it's high intensity.
0: Yeah. It sounds like (laughs) it. I mean, just also stakes are high, you know, you have to like make your day and all that. Just like I can imagine that the pressure would kind of funnel down or just the environment could be tense.
1: For sure. And there's a lot of like lingo and things going on and you don't understand what other people's jobs are. And I think that that's like, there's so many jobs in this business that I think that having worked now in a variety of places, that it makes it easier to understand why people are pissed off. Because when I first started, so many times, I was like, I don't understand. Like, why is she being such a bitch about Yeah. yeah. And then later you realize, like, they have this other reason why this other thing was very important, yeah. and someone's screaming at
0: them about it. But you yeah. don't know. Like, the you truly don't know. It's pretty. Screams. What benefits do you think that you got from being a PA? As your first job. And then where did you go next?
1: Well, it's low paying and there's a lot of free food. So number one, free food. <laughs> <laughs> because The you, PA 15. <laughs> the amount of money you make is like, you could also just work at McDonald's. Right. Uh, but... Uh, I think you're immediately exposed to, like, the magic that is putting together a show, which is exciting. You learn about hierarchy, which is very important. Um, And you meet a ton of people. And you learn that, like, the set world, even more so, I think, than out here in L.A., the set world is so much more dependent on, like okay, like, yeah, you're smart, but, like, are you fun to be around for 15 hours a day? Are you a lunatic? Are you going to show up? Because yeah. there are so many people, like, who are just unreliable. I mean, when I was on one show, there was a locations guy who was just off his rocker. Like, he would – he had gotten my number off a call sheet, which get used to that if you're a girl. I would had that happen multiple times. Wait, you mean – Random people from the He pulled the crew. your number
0: from the call yes. sheet to ask you out or like hit he on you? He was married
1: with kids, but he would call <gasps> me and text me over and over. Oh my God. At like 2 in the morning. Wait, it was that's crazy. horrifying. What did he say? Just weird stuff. I could tell he was like on drugs or something. Something yeah. was wrong. And he was a nice guy, but like something was wrong. And yeah. I finally told, I told somebody about it because I it kind of scared me because when you, like, I was sometimes alone at the production office very early in the morning or very late at night. And the only other people who are usually around very early and very late at night are locations people or transpo people. And he happened to work in locations. So I was alone with him in the dark of the night sometimes with nobody else around. So I finally told somebody, and they were like, oh my God, that's crazy. And I was like, yeah, like, shouldn't we tell line producer or somebody like shouldn't he get in trouble for this and they basically were just like well you really don't want to make waves and this is a close-knit team and he's been on here every season
0: yeah and and it's so messed up but then that's also kind of how la is Mm
1: -hmm, i learned very quickly and so they were like maybe just see if he does it again and then we'll say something. And this is two female bosses, by the way, two uh, female bosses who who told me to me shut so up much. and pretend it's not happening. And this guy isn't even that important. Not zero importance, by the way, zero importance. But wow. because they were a crew, a crew that had always worked together, oh, so they were like a team. Yeah, I or felt they were like, like, a, frat. Felt like a family, kind of yeah. like okay, well, yeah, but he's got a wife and kids, like. What are you going to, yeah. like, get him in trouble and he needs this job or whatever? Because, like, you know, some of the people, especially on set, it's, like, it's not... You don't need a Harvard degree to do it. And, like, right. you know, there's... At the time, there wasn't as much going on. It wasn't, like, it would be super easy for him to hop from one show to another. Right. Um, so, I didn't say anything and I just never, ever replied to any of the text recalls, ever. And then, like, a week later... He, like, fell off the back end of a truck. There was, like, some... And he, like, was mysteriously gone for, like, Wait, two did weeks. He, did he die? No. <laughs> and that was the murder of... Yeah. F- uh, like,
0: secretly planning, like, cold, the cold truck bed to, like... Cold case Georgia spa.
1: Productions. Uh No, he didn't die. He was gone mysteriously for two weeks. And it sounds like he, like, got his shit together. He, there was, like, some substance issues, I think. Yeah. And then he came back and was, like normal and nothing else happened but it was uncomfortable and you know it is what it is by the way in the set world it is like a boys club like I would say even more so than the world out here um where it's like in more corporate environments and I just got to the point where I would always pretend everybody was joking no matter what
0: yeah
1: uh that's sad I mean it's it's not
0: bad advice because that's how you're able to deal with it but
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: definitely. I know I'm discouraging. like the, I'm sorry,
1: I'm like the wrong it, me too person because I would just be like, well, no, I but mean, like
0: you, the PA wasn't gonna stand up to all that was wrong on the film set. Yeah, you know, I just you were not gonna job. change the culture. Yeah, it's just shitty that the people and I'm not making a judgment. I don't know what their lives are like, but it's shitty that there weren't people in the positions of more power who felt like they wanted to Could address design. it which, which is think, like is the problem in general it's a, it's a problem in society so yeah because it also this is kind of messed up to say but what I've noticed is that you have like to be successful and rise up in uh like this kind of industry or any kind of industry where it's like a boys club and there's a lot of misogyny um and a lot of like abuses you have to like play by a certain set of rules and you have to like adapt and it takes a certain like I guess skill set or cutthroatness or whatever so like once you get through that and Mm -hmm. no fault to that like you have just as much right as everyone else to succeed but once you get through that like you're probably less inclined to go help and change the system because like you've been hardened by the system I don't know if that makes sense but I've noticed that
1: Yeah, well, or you start to be like, well, everybody was like that. Yeah. I find myself saying that, and I feel bad. But, like, I was really in no position to, like, change anything at the time. And it wasn't anything that was so aggressive that I was, like, couldn't handle it. It was just awkward. It was awkward. I was, like, you know, 23, 24. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, he was, like, 45. So it's it's not like he was a teenage boy. But anyway, that was, like, a kind of weird event. But, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens on set that's, like, super fun Um, And And then then after that,
0: you worked for a director, right?
1: Yes. So, um, yeah, I worked on set. I was an office PA on a TV show. Then I did, like, a few more office PA things. I worked for UPM, which is basically the same thing, but he was, like, more doing, like, hiring and budget type stuff. And then I was – I had done enough PA work that I knew I either was supposed to, like, move up to being, like, a production secretary, which is – higher than a PA yeah. in the like office PA hierarchy, which you can learn about, um, online. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't really want to stay there cause I had by then started thinking about like, oh, I think I might want to move to LA at one point. And so yeah. I decided I want to work for a producer or director. And okay. that was like, that was really challenging because, you know, I was, I was relatively new to the business and I just like, realize that you will never get that job until you just start telling people you don't say I'm a PA and I'm trying to be a producer's assistant. You just start saying I'm a producer's assistant or a director's assistant. It's really hard. It's super hard and I felt like I didn't know what I was doing and I was like, well I'm not qualified or Yeah, you had like
0: imposter syndrome. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. People are
1: gonna look at my credits and none of them say producer or director's assistant. But the problem is is that until you just say that's what you are, the only incoming calls you get are for the job you already have.
0: On another show.
1: Yeah. And so I could have PA'd for a thousand years. Yeah, because it's so
0: gig to gig.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then, so I finally just said I only want to be a producer's assistant or a director's assistant. In the meantime, I got this job on an indie film where indie films are kind of like you wear a thousand hats. And that was an amazing experience because (laughs) I was like driving producers around I babysat for one of the producers I would drive the director back and forth in the airport it was his first movie so he needed all the help he could get and was super forthcoming with information because he was new to it too and like would even, like, nervously pull me aside before production meetings and be like, should I tuck my shirt in or leave yeah. it out, yeah. you know? And you're Aww. like, uh, I don't know. You're the director. Like, you could go in yeah, there naked. Yeah, you're the fashion and- icon. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. That's what I'm known for amongst uh, my friends here. But, but yeah, it was awesome because I got to form actual relationships with a lot of people on that where you kind of learn. And then um, my very next job was working for a major motion picture director. Sean Levy, on uh, The Internship, which filmed in Atlanta, which is a big budget studio movie. Okay, so were you, movie.
0: were you his assistant specifically for that set?
1: For just like, the show? Like, did he have
0: an assistant in, a, in oh, sorry. Was it a TV show?
1: No, no, no. It was a – Okay, yeah,
0: that's what I mean. Like, did he have an assistant in L.A. and then oh, you were yes. his assistant? Oh, yeah. Okay. There
1: were multiple assistants everywhere. There okay. were two assistants in L.A., Jeez. and then me and another assistant here in Atlanta, here.
0: Um, here 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 <laughs> we're in LA now you guys we're Sorry. on location um <laughs> recording this podcast in Atlanta Georgia <laughs> she came
1: she flew to Atlanta to interview me
0: no uh yeah so there were four of
1: us uh one one person did more like personal stuff back in LA and then there was like a head honcho in LA who was like the true development assistant that was like rolling calls with him every day on set which like you'll learn I had no idea when people said they were rolling I thought they meant like on acid or something I know that's like my favorite joke
0: (laughs) (laughs) just rolling calls I was
1: like oh yeah we're rolling and I'd be like what and people would ask you if you had experience rolling when you would talk about jobs and I'd be like
0: I oh they didn't say rolling calls no.
1: Like, even Sean was like, I just need to be rolling in the car or whatever. Meaning rolling calls, like, from Wait, place Wait, did you place. actually think you meant drugs? No. Oh, I, I used context story. clues <laughs> to figure it out. But, like, when you're talking to other people, you forget that you have to, like, kind of explain. There's all these weird lingo for things right. that, like, like you Like a don't... honey truck. Like a... Yes. A honey... honey wagon. wagon. Honey wagon. And then also, like, an... Apple box is just like a box yeah, that people it's stand great, on. Right, yeah. Um so like C67s or whatever the fuck. Yeah. I, I might have the number well, wrong. That's probably those it. are um clothing pens. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but anyway, no, Sean had a plenty of assistance and uh, which actually made me more nervous because there were so many more people to please, you know? You right. Know, just like, oh my god, he needs a lot of help for every single thing, and it came with rules. And, like, what kind of roles? Just everything from, like, before I met him, I knew, like, exactly what he eats and when. And, like, exactly how blah, blah, blah happens. Right. I, and, like, I had the people who I worked for gave me the email address of his previous onset assistant who... She she and I actually became very close friends when I moved to LA, and she, we're, like, the same person, essentially. But uh, she sent me, like, an entire long laundry list email of, like, exactly what your day-to-day oh, is like. Oh, so
0: kind of like the desk bible? Like, a desk bible yeah. is when you um, become, especially, like, an agency assistant on a particular desk. A previous assistant has normally made a, quote-unquote, desk bible, which is a humorous term unto yeah. itself, but it kind of just gives you... All the preferences and all the mm-hmm. protocol for that particular.
1: And just knowing, like, and, like, some of this was good stuff, like, knowing that, like, his wife and his family is, like, his number one priority. And so, like, if his wife ever asks you to do something, like, you do that first. Yeah. Whereas, like, for some people, that is not the case. Like, right. they would be, like, I don't want my wife to know anything that I'm doing and don't answer her calls or whatever. Yeah. And in this case, it was very much so the opposite. Like she's a part of his life, she, take care of her. So she is happy and the kids are happy because we're on location and like it's not that easy being on location. Right. Um, so it's good to know and those things um before you go into it. And like also I would say take a little bit of it with a grain of salt, because you have to like build your own relationship with these people too. So like sometimes when you get list of things of, like, this is what this person is like before you meet them, that can you're like, okay, you know. Oh,
0: right. It's eye roly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you're like, okay, but some things, yes, very important to know. Other things, I think you can kind of, like, play it by ear when you're working for them as to, like, how relevant it really is to your
0: specific relationship. You know? I I think that's kind of one of the themes in general is just that it's all ridiculous and just... Knowing, like, which ridiculous things you actually have to care about and Mm -hmm. which things you can be... Like, the whole industry in general, when you think about it. It's like, yeah, getting someone's lunch order is really important. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. but it's something that you can do that's just going to make your life easier, and it's really important. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah,
1: exactly. And sometimes that's, like, what I would say is, like, I would be so scared about something that was on this list, and then it turns out, like, it actually isn't a thing that he cares about. It's, like, one assistant had a problem with it some time ago and, like, put a thing on this list of, like, never do this. Or and But in your head, you think, okay, well, I'll be fired if I right. do whatever. But right. he was actually a joy to work for and was developing other This projects.
0: episode of the podcast is sponsored by Sean <laughs>
1: <laughs> And he's the reason I got here. Really. Is because he was had a production company where he was producing stuff too. Right. And so he was working on what still we does, call. He Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. 21 Labs. Yeah. And I didn't know what the word development went. I didn't know any of that and so I would just like insert myself and ask him questions like when it would rain and we'd be trapped in his trailer for like an hour I would just ask him questions about stuff and he was also super forthcoming he would get on a phone call and then get off and be like did you know do you know what a back of the envelope deal is do you know what I meant when I said that and like explain it what's the back of the envelope deal it's honestly just like where they jot it down like sketch out a deal with numbers like Bef- without having, like, an official contract. Okay. Like, it wasn't, like, that important for me to no, know. No, no, But it's but nice. it was, like, I don't it's know. It's so rare
0: that someone in that, like, position of power takes an interest in... A hundred percent. And to be fair,
1: he did that, like, this one kid who had written him a letter that he admired, like, came to set for two days. And that kid, he was, like super helpful with and mentored him for the few days that he was there or whatever and he would do that a lot like I actually think there's certain people you'll learn in your career that get pleasure from helping people and bringing them in the inner circle and then there's other people who either don't know how to do that or don't have the time to do it or they just don't want to help you. Well, because there are and people
0: Sean who feel threatened even though they shouldn't.
1: Yeah. And like Sean didn't have any reason to be threatened by anyone well, yeah. at all. Well little Literally. did he know. Little did he know. <laughs> and now I'm directing all of the future Night at Museum movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, kidding. Uh but yeah, and he would like pull you aside and be like, so like when I was working on X show 10 years ago, this is how I learned how to talk to actors. If there was like they didn't like the scene and they didn't want to do it the way I wanted them to do it and but you don't just tell them no here's how you work around to get them to right dress. and like it was fascinating yeah I don't even like I have no I don't think I have the brains to be a director but like it still was fascinating you and have interesting the brains.
0: oh thank you yeah thank you um so so
1: he helped you when you moved
0: to LA then.
1: Yeah, so he realized I had an interest in development based on our conversations, and he basically was like, "This doesn't exist in Atlanta, which it doesn't. It, Atlanta is just a physical production hub right now. Okay. Um even like most of the stuff that comes out of Turner, I think a lot of that stuff is developed out here because it's
0: Turner headquartered in Atlanta. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. it's a part of Warner Brothers. Yeah, so. yeah. Like, a lot of the development is coming from LA. I'm sure there are some things like Cartoon Network things and stuff like that that might be local, but for yeah. the most part, development as a whole is something that happens in LA or in New York, um, and then when it goes to set is how things are in the okay. Now, that might change with future tax incentives and who knows, Right. but right now, or at least when I was on set with Sean, that wasn't the case, and he was like, so you're going to have to move and... I popped on the phone with an assistant from their company who spent like three hours one day explaining to me the LA world. and That's so nice. I know, which now I realize is like, I can't believe she did it. She still works there. She's amazing.
0: Um, You can't believe that she spent three hours?
1: Yeah, for somebody who she'd literally never laid eyes on. The funny thing, though, is she'd actually never laid eyes on her boss yet either. She got hired while her boss was on set.
0: Was her boss... Someone else at the company? hmm
1: The president oh, so of the company. so she was just, like, stepping Dan. up.
0: That's nice, though. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think there are a lot of people out there who... Want to be helpful. I disagree. I think you would do that. But I think there are a lot of people out there who do want to help you and explain things to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just about finding, like, your champions. Because everyone, especially people who have come to this, like, not growing up in the industry, everyone had to learn somewhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah.
1: Then I did, like, a couple of, like, small, like, B T shows and stuff that were short. And, to just kind of
0: save money? Mm-hmm.
1: And I had decided I was going to move, but, like, I didn't know. Were you nervous? Job. Oh my god, yes. I had set an arbitrary timeline. Like, I just picked a day because I was like well there's Christmas so I should stay through Christmas and then my dad's birthday is in the beginning of January so I was like I've got to stay at least through my dad's birthday and then I'm moving on like the seventh right I picked a random day because I think you have to do that I yes I read something online that was like if you first of all you're never gonna get a job if you're not there yeah and everyone who I worked with on set had reiterated that you'll never get a job until you're there And then secondly, they were like, you're never going to do it if you don't just make a deadline, like a fake deadline. Like, I had no real reason. I had no job, really. Yeah. Uh, I ended up having a job before I got there. But when I decided to move, I had no idea. Um, That was in, like, uh, it was around Thanksgiving. Wait, so you did get a job before you moved? Mm, Yeah, like two weeks before. That's what happened to me, too. I
0: think if you can, like, pretend like you already live mm-hmm. there you can work you around. could even I would just that's tell people I did. I'll
1: be when you create the deadline you're like I'm in LA on January 7th and or just say I live in LA yeah that's what but I'm unavailable until the 7th or whatever the, what? whatever I mean, you like
0: say. the chance they're gonna reach yeah. out and
1: like so yeah guys. and like so I like shadowed Sean and Pro's production like flew out here and one of our um our production supervisor let me like stay at her apartment while she was out of town so, so nice. I could like check out the yeah. town and these girls like took me to dinner it was in, it was crazy like honestly for as much shit la gets like i had like the full welcome wagon of yeah. like show up and the only thing i was dreading was that everyone was like Welp, you're gonna have to get a job at an agency yeah and i was like no but i made this fake deadline i had no place to live it was now christmas and i was like well I told my parents I was leaving in, like, ten days.
0: Yeah. And Wait, were your parents
1: supportive? Ish. My, my dad and my brother were like, yeah, sure. My mom kind of, I think, just thought it wasn't actually going to happen. Because it didn't seem, like, I had no job. I had no place to live. I had no money. Because I'd yeah. only been working as a PA. So it didn't seem, like, real until... Like three days after Christmas, my friend who I had worked with on set in Georgia, she was an LA native. Did
0: you Did you buy a plane ticket? Like when you decided? No, like, I
1: drove. I did a road trip. Oh, okay. I like was like I'm gonna do a road trip, so it seemed even less likely that I was really right, gonna go. You don't have
0: anything locking you in.
1: And um, all like the government shut down around this time, and I remember the guy. What year is
0: this? Two thousand twelve.
1: Twelve. Yes. Okay. And the guy who I was supposed to road trip my good friend that was supposed to road trip out here, like his boss. Said he wasn't allowed to take the vacation days because the government shut down. Did you work
0: in government?
1: Uh he was like some engineering thing that Uh. was like somehow related to it. And so he he canceled on me and I was like,
0: Oh my god, like
1: who's gonna go with me across the country? Right after (laughs) and right after the holidays, where everyone's already used all their vacation. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my god, I'm so screwed. So Three days after Christmas, this chick posts online that I know that she needs someone to sublet her apartment for, like, eight months. Because she was going to go work on, um, the next, uh, oh my god, what are those? Ugh, not the Avengers. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Whatever. A big franchise movie in Canada. And so she needed to subletter ASAP. And so I, like, magically had an apartment of somebody Shit. who I knew.
0: And it was, like, affordable even though.
1: Dude, I thought it was outrageous. I think she charged me like six fifty.
0: <laughs> Your own apartment,
1: <laughs> and for it was like a bachelor apartment. Like I still, remember,
0: you can't even get a room <laughs> in an apartment. For I know, that. but I'm
1: telling you, I remember thinking she's jibbing me. And then I found out later that she was paying like twelve hundred dollars a month for this place, and was only making me pay like a portion of it, and. I like could not wrap my head around that some this place was that much money because in Atlanta, I had a wonderful place with a pool and everything like right by the Piedmont Park, which is like the central park of Atlanta for like $760. And I was like, this is nuts. Well, that was like your first LA 101. Yeah. Is real estate, right? So I got a place to stay. As soon as I had an apartment, I was like, well, I've got enough saved up that I can pay her, like, one month's rent. Oh, my God. And hopefully I'll just get a job. Yeah. And literally, like, I started emailing people then when I was like, I have a place because it seemed way more real. Yeah. But mind you, this is, like, I was leaving on the 7th, I think, and so it was, like, the 28th.
0: And everyone, because the whole town shuts down. So everyone's also, like, on vacation. Well, I didn't
1: know that. So, And the production world was like, meh. Cause the, oh, yeah. The union, I just mean, like, union it schedule. was less
0: likely that people would respond to you. Oh, well, way. I didn't
1: even know that. But yeah, yeah, so I found this on Facebook. And then, uh, I, I, this guy who, funnily enough, circle back to, like, my very first job working as, uh, an award show PA and script coordinator, all of those people like work on basically all of the award shows and they kind of cycle through. And so he had the Critics' Choice Awards, the Grammy Awards, and the Oscars back to back basically coming up and was like, I can have, I-, I literally had a job like the day I arrived on the Critics' Choice oh, Awards. was so lucky. So I like drove into LA, went to sleep, and the next morning or next day I like worked in a room full of... Like it was like Daniel Day Lewis and Uh like all these people because that was the year Lincoln was nominated for everything, I think. I guess. I don't know. That's it. I think it was. Um, in a room with like heroes. My second day in LA. And I was like, This is Hollywood. (laughs) Like, this is the life. Like I thought that was my new life, man. I just hang out with celebrities at award shows.
0: Oh boy. Yeah.
1: And then that
0: that started the LA trip. And then you got your job at the agency through Sean. He
1: yes. got you in the so door.
0: So I interviewed at a couple agencies. And
1: then I... As I was leaving the interview from one, got a call from the other saying... Yes. Okay. Saying, <laughs> do you want the job? And... I said, oh, well, can I have a day to think about it? And they said, no.
0: That's what happened to me. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, that's when you know what you've gotten yourself into. mm -hmm. When they're hazing you. Yeah. They said no. And so I... They didn't even tell me how much I was going to get paid. I was like, oh, how how much am I getting paid? And it was like an assistant in HR. She was like, oh, I can go find out. And then she put me on hold. (laughs) for a while, or called me back, I don't remember, finally has to ask someone, obviously she knows, comes back and is like, it's $10 an hour plus benefits. <laughs> They're
1: like, and now you
0: qualify for welfare. Yeah, and I was like, negotiations? No, I'm just kidding, I was like, you can't negotiate. You just
1: take it, anything. you just take it, and you're so happy. Yeah. I remember I was so Happy I was to so get happy. that, I was
0: stressed, but I was happy. Yes, I was stressed because I had faked living here and I still had all my stuff in Chicago where I was going to school. Oh my God. I had to go move out of Chicago because I graduated a quarter early, so I was supposed Uh-oh. to just be hanging out. Had to move all my stuff out, similar to you, like find a sublet, Oof. lived with the randos, had a rental car for a couple weeks mm-hmm. until my grandparents got a new car and gave me their old car, and then I had to fly up and drive it down, and just like. I was sleeping on an air mattress for, like, a month and a half. But that's it's what we've like got to do because, like, you're not going to get a signing bonus. You know what I mean? Like, no, you don't have money. No.
1: And, in fact, I actually think it's hard to have that job if you don't have, like, some sort of help from your parents or you live with, like, 15 people.
0: Well, I think, and I definitely want to spend time talking about that at some point on this podcast because, like, I was lucky enough that I found this sublet that was also super affordable. Yeah. Not as affordable as yours. But, like, and... My parents were able to pay the first month's rent. But other than that, I just, like... Yeah. Then I was lucky that I had a job that started right away. Because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do it. And I found out
1: later that that's not common. Most people have, like,
0: three to six months with nothing.
1: And they're, like, working at, like, Frosty's Milkshake Factory. But it's kind
0: of sad because I feel like... Not that it's sad, but... A lot of people aren't working at Frosty's Milkshake Factory. A lot of people are just getting money from their parents. Yeah, yeah. Or people who did something similar where they moved out after working at home, but they just didn't PA or something. Like, they worked a job and were able to, like, save more money before they moved out. (laughs) So, basically, save more money, Megan. Yeah, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I lived in, like, a wonderful place in Atlanta and spent all my money there. And then I came out here... It's good that you could like enjoy the quality of life of having a really awesome (laughs) apartment before you moved here. Uh, I know, it was awful. I came out here and I remember being like, wait a minute,
1: people don't have dishwashers in their apartment? Like that to me was shocking. That you don't have a dishwasher, and you don't have a washer and dryer in your apartment. You had a one bedroom with a dishwasher and a washer dryer? Yes, and a parking space, and there were yeah. guest spots. There was a swimming pool. I was uphill by, like, one block from Piedmont Park. There was a Trader Joe's within walking distance. It was crazy. And
0: then I came here, and I was like, you have to live in, like, the worst part of town. I know, and this isn't even, like, New York a or San Francisco. Like, to me, it's like, I have friends who went... To New York. And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I have a way better quality of life. Mm -hmm. But I'm living that right now because I'm moving and I couldn't... I have a dishwasher now. Ooh. And not going to have a dishwasher anymore. Moving on up? (laughs) Moving on down. Oh, you're... No, I have one now. Oh. And I'm moving and I'm not going to have one. I know. (laughs) A dishwasher is something you don't really realize you enjoy until you have it. Until your, like, wonderful hands turn into muck. My grandma's thing is, like, always wear... Dishwashing gloves because otherwise your hands will be ruined. Yeah, I feel like a nineteen
1: forties housewife always. Because you wear gloves. Yeah, Yeah. and I live in like a nineteen thirties like apartment. Oh yeah. But the character. It's all
0: about the character. Yeah, the character. The crumbling
1: character. Yeah. So I got out here. I mean, it was not the normal version of things because I remember I was like at the Grammys the night before my first day at the agency. And so I had spent the whole week watching like Carrie Underwood and Bruno Mars perform yeah. and rehearse. Elton John was there like driving around in a velour tracksuit and a golf <laughs> cart. And I was like, this is my life. Like the awards shows, working on them when I first got here like yeah. really screwed in my head about how fun LA yeah. was going to be because then it was like I showed up at the agency and they were like, your life is over.
0: Would well, scary, because I had a similar thing, and I was coming like straight out of college mm-hmm. and it's that feeling that that scary feeling and also like the lack of autonomy mm-hmm. you know, just like you
1: can't do anything do anything I actually remember when I started the agency thinking, if I had had this be my first job out of college that I would have quit the business because At least I knew this other part of filmmaking, which was like fascinating to see like a flat piece of cardboard be painted and look like a actual loft brick apartment, right? From like the art department and set deck and like to see green screens and how they do visual effects and how movies are made. Like I saw all of that on set live and I felt like the only thing for me that like pushed me through at the agency was knowing that like my heart lies in the magic of putting together a movie and seeing something from a piece of paper come to life and just telling myself that like as much as the job sucked at the agency, that it was a part of that
0: long process and that you're a part
1: of it in some way. And that you just, I it made me set a timeline for, like, getting out.
0: Well, I think that that's also super helpful because there's this, like, vibe at the agency that they're the kings of the business and everyone mm-hmm. else is not. Mm-hmm. So you can, if you don't know what the rest of the business is like and that other people yeah. will laugh at agents, then you sometimes get to thinking, like, I'm where (laughs) the popular kids are now, (laughs) why am I going to go sit with the band geeks, you know what I mean? Which is so
1: funny, because when I was on set, all I remember is people being like, the suits, the suits. Right, right. The suits are here. And I'd be like, oh my god, who are the suits, what are we doing? And they were like, don't tell them anything, don't share anything with them, don't even look them in the eye. That's crazy. I remember when they were, like, with anybody from a studio, a network, or an agency was on set. Everyone acted weird around them. Nobody talked normal uh, about normal set stuff. No, like, it was bizarre. And the talent acts different because they're, like, kind of trying to, like, sh- show off for their agent. And then their agent's acting, like, douchey because he wants to go to dinner with them and stuff. And has no idea what's going on. But they're kind yeah. of, like, pretending. And then when studio people are there, everyone's just trying to, like, plug all of the leaky faucets up right. until they leave. And I didn't fully understand why. I just remember them all being hated and you hide from them and you never tell yeah. them anything. So
0: dramatic.
1: It was and like and then when I saw I was moving they're like, oh, you're gonna become a suit. And oh it was my God. like derogatory almost.
0: Uh, so I kind of felt like a turncoat when that's I finally <laughs> a turncoat. Well, but that's why it's so cool and like maybe we should have you back to talk about like the studio side because it's yeah. so cool that you've like been able to, you have the production, the agency and the studio. So in a way you've kind of like, Adjustable you just need to work trades. at a production company. So you get like all the types of, yeah. which you did see when you were doing production. Mm-hmm. So it's so cool because you have like the, um, the context to understand everything. Yeah. And, like, a comprehensive view. The 360
1: view of the torture from every angle in the
0: business. Well, okay, so, like, if if we want to talk torture, <laughs> or even just great times, like, what do you think was your lowest moment? I mean, we can even get beyond oh, the PA boy. stuff to, like, as an assistant or PA or, like, was there a moment where you are like, I hit rock bottom <laughs> as
1: I mean, you were hiking
0: up the mountain? No, but, like... You're, there are so many of those moments that it you have
1: to be able to laugh at it. Right. Honestly, because you would honestly quit and go home if you couldn't just laugh about it. And thank yeah. God. I'll say, like, at the agency, the best thing is, is that everyone else is going through it, too. Right. So, And you all hang out together on the weekends. So it actually became a point where I would be like, okay, we're only allowed to complain for, like, 15 minutes. Right, because it's like, such
0: a circular conversation. Because otherwise you'll
1: just stand in a bar complaining about your boss for, like, 500 hours And on all Friday you night. have to
0: do is, like... If you don't feel that, all you have to do is bring a friend to mm-hmm. the bar who's not yes. in... Even in that specific part of the industry, and, and it's just, like, excruciating for them.
1: Oh, yeah. So I had two two very good friends who did not do... One was the person who used to work for the director, and the other person worked in reality TV, and that world was such a different universe that yeah. they were just like, whatever, and we would have fun. Thank God I had those people, because otherwise yeah. you would just bitch. But yeah, I think, like... <laughs> There's tons in the agency. I mean, if it's not like being worried that someone's going to throw a baseball bat at your head. Um, I had a I had a boss who told me that I that he just needed me to be a human punching bag and to just take
0: it. And What what was the way in which he told you this? Like, I'm just mm, going to level with you or was it like in, in the interview?
1: No. Uh, no, not in the interview. In the interview he is very kind. Kind of.
0: Really? Uh, and I was naive, so I was like... Just I, to be clear, like, when you're at an oh, yeah, agency yeah. and you're in the mailroom and you become someone's assistant, you interview for each particular agent yeah. that you... Yeah, but it's like a fake interview because you're not
1: allowed to choose your first desk. So yeah. if they choose you then yeah. you're it. Yeah. At least for like And this was months. your first ask, right? My very first ask. But yeah, when I interviewed for it, I was like, I work on set for like 17 hours a day, and yeah. well, I'll do anything. do anything. And he was yeah. like, you're hired. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize other people were like throwing their interview on purpose because this person was known That's for so being funny. a lunatic. Throwing their interview. Yes. <laughs> and I had been called into his old assistant's office. His and she, old
0: assistant's office?
1: So, well, she like... Oh, who had I since
0: gone promoted. Yes. Okay.
1: Like a, not, not promoted, but just was, had left that department and was like, come talk to me right now. And I was talking to her and she was saying how bad it was and to drop out of the race as HR was like calling around to try to find me. To tell you that you To tell me it. that I'm so on So what it. happened?
0: Did you freak out?
1: Oh yeah. I was in like a total panic because the girl who was leaving the desk was quitting after like four and a half weeks. She couldn't handle it and she hated him and it was a disaster it was well, a you mess. lasted
0: longer than most people on that didn't you
1: four and a half months yeah the person who lasted the longest I think she did seven or eight and she, but she ended up becoming an actual agent so if that gives you an idea
0: I think there's a guy who did it for even longer than that
1: yeah the guy you. that they made me train the second person I had to train
0: after a different girl uh, faked mono to get off his desk I remember the fake mono. I don't know. Uh, how, I don't because know she had like mono that would like come and go. I think she's you, you have it, it forever there. once
1: you have it. And so I guess she
0: like got it again.
1: Uh, but anyway. Oh, right.
0: Yeah, that was crazy. So,
1: what a good excuse. We should all keep that in our back pocket. I mean, I thought it was brilliant. But yeah. Was like, why didn't
0: I think of that instead of being tortured? You know what? Like, if you're working somewhere where there, aren't rules then you <laughs> don't have to play by. My- but I'll tell you like uh he was abusive in a weird way like an abusive
1: boyfriend because there were days where he would like compliment me and tell me I was smart and like explain to me how he stole clients and blah 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 or whatever.
0: <laughs> Let me tell you how I would like, yeah. clients. And I'd be like
1: yes maybe one day I will be an agent. Could I do this? Because like yeah. at the time I had come to California with a totally open mind. Me I too. I told myself, yeah. no matter what my set friends say, I'm going to just see, like, maybe I would, like, I'm good at sales and marketing, like, maybe I'd be a good agent. Yeah. And to be honest, it was such a, like, cluster disaster and, like, just, you're just deluged with all this information and you don't know what it is for or why because nobody tells you and it's, like, all so fast. I definitely was like, I don't know, I can't, I definitely don't want this job, but... He had, would call me and be nice sometimes, but then like at one point, I guess he like saw that I was like flustered or annoyed with him. And like HR used to like check in on me to like make sure I was okay. So that just tells you the type of situation I was in. But, and he would like say, I just need, a, I just need you to know that I'm going to scream at you and you just have to take it. I just need an assistant who can be like a human punching bag. Just like, don't you shouldn't take it personally. I'm just going to scream sometimes because and he would turn red like a tomato when he would get flustered
0: oh my god
1: and he would swing this baseball bat around in an office that had glass everywhere like a glass desk and
0: glass like
1: glass alcohol bottles and everything
0: thing to do it was awful
1: um but then other times he was like perfectly uh, nice i use lightly nice for an agent yeah. Um, but yeah, so he would say things like that. He also one time called called me over and over and over again on a Saturday starting at like 7 a.m. To, because he wanted me to book him a hair appointment. and For that day, for the weekend? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I had listened to our trainer who told us that they're not supposed to be calling us on the weekends and to just say, you're on a boat. And I actually really was on a boat that day. Not at 7 a.m., but, like, a few hours later. And so I just turned my phone off because I was upset with my life. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to turn my phone off. What is he going to do? Tell HR that I didn't book his hair appointment? Yeah. He was calling me over and over and over again. And my phone died anyway So when we were out on this boat. And so I didn't get any of his messages until, like, the next day because I stayed at a friend's place that night. And I had, like, ten voicemails from him just, like, going crazy. First about the haircut, then telling me that I like messed up some schedule, but like I hadn't.
0: It was ridiculous. He was just spiraling because he felt like he didn't have control over you for that day or something. Yeah, it was crazy.
1: But yeah. that's that is a valid excuse. That you were on a boat because I was.
0: And you're, what are you you're supposed to do? To live your life. I'm on a boat. It's a yeah. Saturday,
1: and like, and it was something that was. It wasn't important. It was something that could have been fixed on Monday morning, and it wasn't like a big deal. But he was just making a big deal out of it.
0: Well, it's also one of those things, and I've talked about this with other people. It would have been just as easy for him to call the hair salon for mm-hmm. that, I'll yeah, than to or call to, you to call the or hair. to
1: just email his client, like, hey, there's just one thing that says it's happening on Tuesday afternoon that's really not on Tuesday or whatever on your schedule. It's but so like, funny. why was that pertinent on Saturday morning at eight a.m.? I have no idea. Um, but anyway, so there's all those like push and pulls. I like, I, I have had a variety of bosses, like things where people are watching inappropriate things at
0: work and like what kind of thing?
1: Like pornography. You had a for boss sons? watch
0: porn at work. Oh yeah, totally
1: normal. Totally normal. Do uh, you think that's
0: totally normal, or do you think that the boss that no. you had? I definitely don't think that's normal. Okay. I, mean, <laughs> I thought you were saying no. like it happens all the time. No. I'm telling
1: <laughs> I was like, you, does it? It is not normal, folks. It's not normal. I had been told before I actually took the job though that that was a well-known issue with him, and but that he was so much better than my previous boss in terms of anger management that like if you could just deal with it and pretend like it wasn't happening around you that your life would be better
0: oh so it was more of that tactic like that you had to employ in Atlanta basically yeah Yeah.
1: and so I would just pretend like I never knew anything was happening ever and
0: were there any times where it was just like you couldn't
1: ignore it uh well no I mean like there are times when people would be like First of all, everyone knew about it. That was the weirdest part is everyone would know about it and laugh about it. And like, you know, you're going in there to get someone to sign an expense report, and they have it on like two screens or whatever. It's just bizarre. Um, but That's like, crazy. everyone I mean, it's at, like
0: what? Everyone what are you doing? at
1: agencies have like treadmill desks and stuff, which is awkward because you're just like staring at someone walking on a treadmill in a business suit. I had
0: a boss who had a treadmill, treadmill desk that was literally like never on. <laughs> I I feel like I'm surprised she didn't put a chair on it. <laughs> like a bar stool yeah she ended up getting a sitting desk too <laughs> great. great
1: um yeah and like I mean the I had a boss at a treadmill desk that would like Watch the porn while he was on phone calls and stuff just like regular boring conference calls and then like every once in a while <laughs> he would get a little bored with his regular like treadmill walking and do like a little hop or like a little skip in the middle of the walk <laughs> oh. and like one time he tripped and the cord came out no. of his computer and no I kid you not his headphone cord yeah, and there was, like, loud noises that were, like, immediately apparent to me and the girl sitting beside me what was going on, and... Did, also,
0: did he, like, faceplant, like, what happened in this... Pro- I'm picturing just, like, like, lying on the floor, like, porn blaring, and no, someone on the phone, like, Hell? he, like
1: hello? He, like, hello? slid backwards and, like, took a knee, but it made a ruckus yeah. on the phone, and the lady who he was talking to, who was, like, also, by the way, telling, like, very inappropriate blowjob jokes and stuff, oh my God. which is, like, the nature of all these calls, you listen to it's just like a bunch of dirty jokes and a 10% yeah. business uh was like what's happening <laughs> what's that noise and then like quickly every like there was a fluster <sighs> of movement and it was like silenced. what else
0: could that noise be unless it's like oh no I'm just watching a client screener and it happened to be this <laughs> sexy maybe he was watching an early cut of 50 shades we don't know it's t- 2bd uh, that would have been uh, a yeah. very very early cut kind of Fifty Shades before <laughs> the script was even written. <laughs> but it was uh
1: listen. It was like humorous at the time because I was like, oh my
0: god,
1: like this is my life. That's
0: amazing. I feel like
1: that's. But at it least was, a whole But by chapter the way, it wasn't. There. It wasn't even like uncommon for that kind of behavior, and like nothing specific like ever happened towards me really yeah, not like, you know, like I wasn't being like groped in an office or anything. So right. in a way it was kind of like the set stuff where you're just like,
0: eh, whatever. Fresh and like us. he was
1: so much better of a boss than the people who I'd worked for yeah. before that like it seemed like, Ugh. well, it's just sad
0: that you have to kind of. Well, honestly,
1: make. I started thinking it was normal. Because you do. You're, you're, like, morality compass and, like, yeah. exor- corporate life yeah compass is, like, super skewed at, at these companies. Yeah. Really skewed. And, like, I would tell people back home things, even just, like, the simplest of things that would happen, a, at the agency or when i worked at the yeah. studio or even on set that people would be like that is a lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah. The problem is, is that the lawyers at all these companies don't they don't care about you the underling. They just care about the people who make money for the company. And so like at a big corporate agency, they just want to protect their insurance from like having a lawsuit. So that's the only reason why they care at all if if anybody is like a potential suit. Person.
0: Yeah, I think what's just coming out more and more is that everyone's a potential suit person in that kind of environment. Yeah, is that what you mean, like lawsuit?
1: Yeah, like yeah. So I mean, because for instance, like when I worked for the person who had anger issues, they HR was checking on me not to see if I was okay because they were trying to groom right. me into like a respected and cared for employee. They were just trying to find out if I was like at the brink of saying something to a lawyer or somebody. And if I was, they would have pulled me off the desk and put me back in the mail room, which would have felt like a failure on my part or fired him. Like, cause they kept telling me that that guy was one assistant that if he tried to fire me, that he was going to be fired was what I was told. And that no matter how many times he told me he wanted me to fi- be fired or quit, that he couldn't have that happen or it would be detrimental to his career because I guess he'd had like, nine assistants in like a year and a half which is unusual that's crazy
0: so well I mean it's not crazy because I know I don't know if I buy that (laughs) no I buy that they told you I don't know that that I buy that they would have followed through with it oh
1: I mean I don't know it depends on how much money he was bringing in for the company that year but you're you're asked to do things like honestly there are things that you do all the time and you just have to decide like is this is something that I can do. Like for instance, when I worked for a a director on set one time who like had a female watch in his apartment that I was like told basically that I would be murdered if I didn't get this watch FedEx to this address, but it had to be like completely untraceable to him, me or the production company. It, I have no idea why, if he murdered this person, if he had an affair with this person or what, but it was, like, a day before his wife was coming into town. And it was crazy. I, I couldn't believe it. And the guy was, like, so scary about it. And I just remember being like, this is bizarre stuff that you're being yeah. asked to do. But he was also That's somebody crazy. who had me, um, I forgot about this story until just now. He had me, he drank tequila all day long out of Starbucks cup's. And he didn't... Oh my god, that's such a cartoon. And he didn't want to... He he didn't want to pay for it, even though he was a wealthy director. And his wife is a very well-known producer-writer in TV. And so they have money. He can afford his own Patron. But instead of buying his own Patron and keeping it at his apartment for me to fill up, or in his trailer for me to fill up, he had me use the props department... Where they would buy, because we had a bar scene in the movie, and they would buy and expense alcohol bottles from, like, this crappy, uh, like, ghetto kind of alcohol store on the corner that would, like, change the receipt. They would change the receipt and ring it up as other things that they were allowed to buy, like... They weren't actually allowed to purchase real vodka because obviously there's not allowed to be real alcohol on set. So it would have to be rung up as like mixers and stuff. But the props department would do it and they would filter. the. They would have the creepy liquor store change the receipts to say that it wasn't alcohol being purchased and then they would expense it. So the studio was paying for this guy's alcohol habit and then finally the props people told me they felt uncomfortable with it and they were worried they were gonna get in trouble because the production office was asking why so
0: much tequila
1: yeah handles and handles of it because people other people on the show started finding out that he was doing it amongst his like in crowd of people and they started drinking at night when we were on so we had a lot of night shoots we shot in a strip club and like all kinds of stuff so like it was a situation where there was just like alcohol around all the time and it was like a very casual set and that was happening and like it's super uncomfortable to go yeah. to like the head of a department and be like well the director needs his patron and like if you can just have this coffee cup filled every hour when I come back here to get it like you have to do it and that was like bizarre one of the most bizarre things yeah but like that makes sense that you couldn't really do anything about it? Yeah. No, but I had to. I had to figure it out, and then I ended up like eventually telling some other department head or somebody, and they like gave me cash from their petty cash, and like I don't know how they, expense it. But basically, we were expensing
0: this guy's like alcohol problem. That's crazy.
1: <laughs> but that's like just the kind of stuff no. But you when do I like. say you
0: couldn't do anything about it, I mean like the only thing that you could do was get him his patron. Yeah, like you couldn't be like, we can't do that. Like no wasn't an option. You know what oh, I mean? No, no, That's no. what's so crazy. Oh
1: yeah. No, you do everything. And on set you're put into a lot of situations for sure where you're like, uh, this isn't normal. Like I when I was working on a different show when I was on set, I had to like find an organization that would let us have monkeys on set but we didn't want to have the humane society people on set which by the way is illegal but I didn't know that and I was told to just find somebody who would do it and not ask questions and it was Georgia so like not that many people are familiar yeah <laughs> and so like I did and these poor monkeys were on like they were like yeah they're just gonna be sitting in cages but like it turns out that they needed them to be kind of like acting like you know and so people were shaking the cages and stuff when the, oh. like, monkey owners were around. I mean, it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah,
0: that's horrible. But Ugh. that's the kind of stuff Ugh. that, like,
1: you know, you're, like, and by the way, I didn't know that that was what was going to happen, but you're kind of, like, okay, well, Yeah. You're, you're not in t- a
0: position to speak up. Yeah. Unfortunately. If If there's, like, one piece of advice you would give to someone who is kind of coming into this industry... You know, probably without connections or maybe without a clear idea of how to approach it. What would your advice be? Mm,
1: I think just to, like, earnestly ask people questions and not be afraid to seem like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Because I feel like I had a lot of fear at the beginning of I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm scared to ask because if I ask, then they'll really know that I have no idea. Because they make it
0: scary to ask. Yeah.
1: But actually, I found out later that sometimes even when you... Do know the answer to stuff that with certain people if you kind of let them feel like they're teaching you yeah, stuff yeah. that it it helps because people like to feel needed and yeah and, and so like that also is like a way to people will open themselves up to you and once they feel like they're kind of like your mentor they'll tell you more so yeah maybe you like fudge that you don't know what blah 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 is in order to get them to like tell you more about other things that you really don't know about. And, like, I don't know if that's a bad strategy, but I'm just saying, like, being earnest and asking about things that you truly don't know about is totally fine. And people are happy to help, for the most part, if you ask at appropriate times.
0: Yeah. I think timing is key, too. Because sometimes you see, like, interns (laughs) and stuff asking people like when they're stressed people, out questions when they're stressed out they're trying to get to a meeting they're trying to get something or done. they're so asking
1: like, the person at the top of the line when like the person in the middle of like the is middle the one grade who would have the
0: best answer anyways is the one who's doing the work sometimes
1: yeah like if you're an intern i wouldn't i probably wouldn't approach like the evp of production about something but like yeah. should you ask the other assistants yeah. yeah should you ask a ce maybe if they're not just like drowning which they yeah. usually are but like Finding those people who are, like, the go-betweens with the important people is probably a lot more helpful than trying to get the attention of somebody who's, like, really at the top of their game. And that's not to say not to shoot for the stars sometimes because certainly there are times when those people will take time out of their day to pay it forward.
0: But but you also want to... You want to pick your time and your yeah. question and, yeah. and make sure that you're And also,
1: sometimes their advice, advice isn't relevant. Like, no, because they don't
0: fucking know. They have
1: no yeah. fucking idea. These people are people who, like, got jobs from, like, in an elevator. That shit doesn't happen Yeah, the anymore. elevator
0: pitch. Yeah. Not a thing. <laughs> or, or their you're dad You're not even in the passed, building. Their you know? dad passed along the job. Yeah,
1: you're not even in the building. You're not even on the lot where you can pretend to be somebody the way that, like, Brian Grazer and those people were doing. Like, you don't have that access because of security, because of technology. And it's it's just changing.
0: Like, there are way more people. It seems like the industry is bigger, but there are also more people who are pursuing it. So there's more people who are jumping to take your job.
1: But I think that, like, those middle-level people and the younger people who are just, like, a step or two ahead of you are always going to have way more valuable information in terms of, like, who you should know, or what you should do, or what's appropriate behavior, or whatever. And, like, take everything everyone says with a grain of salt.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, because you'll also hear things that are completely contradictory to each other. Oh, yeah. Well, I
1: mean, here's, like, the biggest thing that I remember being like, well, that's annoying, is that I was told when I moved out here from Georgia... You will never get a job in development if you don't have agency experience. Never, ever you're going to have to work at an agency, which sucked because I really didn't want to work at an agency. Now, in hindsight, I think that that was good experience-wise and networking-wise, but had I known, because I have now met people who came from Georgia and got out here and got development jobs, had I known I could skip the agency route, I would have totally skipped it. Right. Right. And that would have been nice to not have that torture. That's not to say that you wouldn't have the torture from a crazy producer or something. Yeah, because you could. And I do think that the networking and the like friendship that you have with people at the agency is valuable. But like, people
0: made it sound like it was impossible, and it it isn't. Yeah. So that's another thing. Well, like, I think that's also one of those things. If someone's telling you something's impossible, they Sounds so cheesy. Maybe they're wrong, or maybe they had just wished that they had been able to do yeah. that. So like. People achieve crazy things. And people are very quick to like talk down about like other people. Like
1: my, I have a buddy who works in physical production. Well, if she were to like have some creative note on a project and like told people who I worked with about it, uh, everyone would be like, okay, like, okay. Like as
0: if, because you're not in their
1: department, you have no say or analytical skills where you can like have an, you know, and like the truth is, is sometimes there's just things they don't understand. Because it's the nature of the job. But like 50% of the time at least, they do have a good idea or an interesting idea. and, And the people will just totally shun you. Yeah. As if you're like an idiot who would, how dare you approach us with your idea. And to me that mentality is really screwed up. Because we're all people who are creative people in this business. And I know people who have gone from a physical production background who became producers or became line producers. I know people from post-production who have done the same thing. Yeah. It's a little bit harder to navigate, but, like, it's not impossible. And so just knowing that, like, you don't have to take the main route, the main route is just mostly a guarantee that you're on the right track.
0: Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's kind of, like, less well-trodden path for you to do something, but yes. that doesn't necessarily mean it's your path. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. This was awesome. It was lovely. Hopefully it was helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Dope. Thank you to our guest for giving us her time and her experiences. Um, Check out our blog and social media for more fun stuff. You can find the info about that in the show notes. Also, shoot me an email through the website and let me know what kinds of guests you want to hear from. Or if listening to this you have any questions, go ahead and ask me and I'll either address it on the podcast or shoot you a note back. Please, please subscribe through iTunes or whatever app you're listening on and give us a rating so more people can hear. Um, our cover art is by Chelsea Javier. Theme song is recorded by Ryan Heenan with lyrics by me. My name's Rachel Abrams and thank you for listening. And what are you waiting for? Go queue up episode three.